When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We're welcoming you along to Friday's edition of Cork Today on the 15th of November 2019 and it is hard to believe that it was on the 15th of November 1990, 29 years ago today that I went live with this programme. It was at 12 midday that we officially went live with the show. It's just those 29 years have gone in the blink of an eye I have to say and I am enjoying it as much today as I did when I started out 29 years ago, even though I was talking in the office with John Paul, remembering how nervous I was this time 29 years ago. And if you had said to me 29 years ago, you'll still be doing this in the same time slot on the same radio station 29 years on, I would have looked at you and thought you were off your rocker. I never would have thought that I would get 29 years out of it. And uh, as I say, I'm still enjoying it and long may that continue. And thank you to some people who have sent in uh, WhatsApps. Uh, Nora Indramina, happy anniversary, Patricia. Enjoy every minute of it. Thank you for that. Happy anniversary, Patricia, says Francis, wishing you another 29 years on C103. I don't know if we were on for another 29. If I may get to the big 30 next year I'll certainly be thrilled with that hope you got cake no we didn't get cake but John Paul being the great guy that he is bought in gorgeous scones this morning for everyone and congratulations says another texture on your 29 years on the same time slot on the airwaves wishing you many more years of listening to your lovely soft sweet voice and then they're gorgeous lovely lovely texts Thank you for that. Now, let's move on with the programme. Danny Healy Ray. Goodness me, but Danny Healy Ray has caused a bit of a stir. He is calling for rural drivers to be issued with a permit that would allow them to drink just two pints and drive home. Now, it has been branded irresponsible and it has been branded as an absolute insult. Let me play a small piece of the independent TD for Kerry, Danny Healy Ray, and what he had to say in the Dáil yesterday when he was calling for this. As some people are saying, it's a permit to drink drive, but he's not asking for people to be allowed to have 10 pints and to drive around the roads. He's saying a small amount of alcohol and you'd only be allowed on certain roads. And he's saying they're not doing anybody any, any harm. They've never done anybody any harm. And that by not allowing people to have a couple of pints and get into their car in a rural area and drive home, it's doing more harm than allowing them the few pints 
and allowing them to get behind the wheel. So here was Danny Healy Ray yesterday. He have closed down most of the county of Kerry and he smithereens made of the social fabric that people enjoyed t- traditionally. Get into a car with Minister Ross any night and take a drive around the county to see the damage and the mayhem he caused with your road traffic bill. People all around the county are now so afraid to move out and are like isolated in their homes like rabbits trapped in a burrow. He don't want people to have a car. One deputy suggests that Totte Fatty should get into one car. Or what kind of a Batmobile is he proposing? Will there be baby seats in it? He wants to stop people farming. He don't want them eating meat. He don't want them cutting tot for timber to keep themselves warm. He might wake up and analyse the lunacy of your actions. Uh, there you go. That's uh, Danny Healy Ray uh, yesterday. Now, I think a lot of people will agree with him on the rural isolation bit and we'll talk about, you know, not having services in rural areas. But is he right? Is the answer to allow people to have some kind of, he's saying it would be some kind of a permit that would allow them to only drive on rural roads. And I don't think the man is saying that you would give somebody a permit and they'd be allowed onto the motorways. It would just be, they would be able to travel only on the local rural roads. Now, you know, you're straight we thinking how in God's name could you police this and how do you know the effect that two pints will have on somebody will be very different uh, so I mean I, I can't even see how it could actually work how the enforcement of it would work but leaving all that aside he has highlighting rural isolation you know I has got to be welcomed and you know there's a lot of other uh, TDs have done that as well Uh, and he is right to highlight that and he is right that there is a bit of a disconnect between those that make laws in Dublin and those that have to live in rural areas and a decision that is made in Dublin has a much different impact on a rural area than it will on an urban uh, area. So, you know, he's right and the other rural TDs are right to be highlighting that. But I just don't know if handing out drink drive permits to people uh, is the way to go. He was addressing, he addressed his comments to the Thornishta, Simon Coveney. Simon Coveney says that it is not only irresponsible, but it is an insult to the many families who continue to mourn the deaths of people who have been killed by people who are drinking and driving. And obviously Road Safety Group found of Park Susan Gray who lost a loved one through a drink driver said it's an insult this is the drink driving laws this is about saving lives it is sad for public representatives to say things just to get extra votes now we put it up on our Facebook page yesterday and got a huge reaction to it now we bring a sample of some of the things now, by the way some people agreed with Danny Healy Ray including Anita who said I totally agree with him there's a lot of elderly people especially men who are living alone and enjoy a few pints at night in the company in a local pub they do no harm to anyone and they aren't driving crazy around the place with no taxi service available in many rural areas they can't go out and they often end up seeing and talking to no one all day and those days can run into many days without seeing or speaking to uh, anyone else. Michael says transport systems should be put in place. But hey, we don't matter. Why? Because we live in a rural area. But remember, we pay our taxes the same as everybody else. We just seem to pay our taxes for nothing in return. Norma said these comments from Mike Danny Healy Ray makes my blood boil. I'm embarrassed for Kerry people to have this come from a man that's supposed to represent the interests of 
his voters. Carmel says, for me, I would ask for his resignation for such an appalling statement. What an ignorant comment to make. And even to make this comment on the same weekend that people who died as a result of road traffic accidents are remembered, only adding insult to injury. Eileen said, for everyone that has said fair play to Danny Healy Ray, would you say the same thing if a loved one of yours was hurt with life-changing injuries or died by an over-the-limit drunk driver? I don't care what road he or she is driving on. Alice said, 100% no. This is disgraceful. So many people have died because of drink drivers. As somebody who lost a family member on rural roads back in the 80s, this is wrong. Why can the locals, why can the locals not have a minibus service for people or simply plan your night out properly to make sure you can get home safely and that everyone around you gets home safely as well? Janet says absolutely not. There's no reason why you can't socialise over a non-alcoholic beer or cider if you must drive yourself home. He will be better served channeling his energy into proving rural transport. And Patrick said, final one, I 100% agree with Danny Healy Ray. My father is 74 years of age. He's worked hard all of his life. He still does. He used to love his nights chatting in the pub over two, two to three beer shandies, <clears throat> but now no longer. He's afraid of his life to chance a pint in case he stopped the next day. What Danny Healy Ray, Danny Healy Ray is saying is absolutely right. In that, what was, Dan, what was Danny Healy Ray's comments? This government have made smithereens have been made of the social fabric that people uh, enjoyed traditionally. He said they've closed down most of rural areas and it's due to the overhaul of the drink driving laws. Anyway, keep your thoughts and comments uh, on that, please. Also coming up in the programme, we're actually going to be discussing other issues that are affecting rural Ireland. And a uh, one that is really, really serious is the problems that some rural towns are having appointing a GP. We have, many of our GPs are getting older and they're getting close to retirement age, if not at retirement age. And this has been an issue that's been flagged, I would say about 10 years ago, probably was the first time I think I remember doing something about it when GPs were saying, look, we're getting older. We need younger doctors to start training up as GPs because we're not going to be around forever to do our job as GPs, particularly in rural areas. And it really now, in the last, I'd say, couple of years has started coming to pass. There are vacancies for GPs in practices all over the country, but especially in rural areas. And younger doctors, if they are available, don't want to take up the practice in a rural town. And it's having huge, huge effect. We're going to be discussing that on the programme today. Also, trying to push for Cork County Council to buy a walking cane that once belonged to Michael Collins. It's going up for auction at the end of the month and the call is is to buy this walking cane. It should remain with the people of Cork. It should remain in West Cork and it should be housed in the County Council Museum that's based, the Michael Collins House Museum, which is based in Clonakilty. So there's a push on for that. There is, a, we hear about the lack of a public health. This is another rural issue again. It's the Ballyvorney area. They have had a problem filling the role of public health nurse. Now, I don't know if it's similar to the doctors in that nobody's applying or what's going on with the HSC, why they can't get a public health nurse for the Ballyvorney area. There was a public meeting held this week in Ballyvorney to highlight this issue and we'll be speaking with one family who shared their story 
of their elderly father who needed pain relief medication topped up and there was a big panic because he nearly ran out of it and this was an end of life case. It's just a truly, truly shocking story. We'll talk about that and then we'll very much lighten the mood before 12 today when Pat Short, the much loved comedian and actor, will join us on the programme. I mean, Pat will be, oh, well, he... He first, I suppose, came on our radar with the Unbelievables and actually I only watched him again when he was on the Late Late tribute show to Gay Byrne and, and I take it, well, I'll ask him about it, but I take it he would be attributing a lot of their early day success to their appearances on the Late Late Show. Then, of course, both Pat Short and John Kenny went their separate ways and Pat went on to, has gone on to have a very sex, successful career both as a stand-up comedian doing what he always does and what he does best but also on TV and also on the big screen and Killing a Scully what a great great programme Killing a Scully was so he'll join us because this night week he is bringing his latest show to Dunmanway so people in West Cork will get an opportunity to go along and see him it is Friday so that means Mark Malone our movie reviewer will join us after half past at 12 that mixed in with your calls and comments throughout the morning Lots and lots of people calling and texting us and commenting on Danny Healy Ray, Stephen in Rathmore. So there's plenty, there are plenty of school buses lying idle across the weekend. Could they not be used to bring people around to bars and then bring them home again? Maria in Mallow says, how can this be enforced, what Danny Healy Ray is suggesting? Uh, yes, there is a pub, there are public transport difficulties in rural areas, but certainly this is not the answer. Lehman Mill Street says, well, I do not agree with his drink driving permit. I do agree with Danny Healy Ray and his points on rural isolation. Something needs to be done about this. Jason in Bally Desmond says, why can't people still go to the pub, enjoy the company and have a non-alcoholic drink? There's so many non-alcoholic drinks out there now. And Caroline on Facebook says, how many pints have you on your licence? Will be the big question for 2020 as opposed to how many points do you have on your licence? Some of your texts in John and Clan says, Patricia and Danny Healy Ray, I don't agree with drinking and driving, but on laws that are being brought up daily in Dáil Éireann, affecting rural Ireland, crazy, has to be stopped. In next year's general election, for the candidates when they come to your door make clear to them and ask them did they and would they vote on bills affecting rural Ireland party politics is over stand with the people who voted for you the Healy Rays are mighty men to speak up for people living in rural areas says John in Clonakilty Martin in from Oise says if all the Egypts in the Dáil were like Mr Healy Ray what a different country we would live in by the way Patricia well done in your 29 years especially with all you have to put up with <laughs> thanks that's Martin in from Oise Healy Ray is 100% right rural Ireland is forgotten about says a texter Someone else says, Danny Healy Ray is a disgrace. Drinking and driving just don't mix. The roads are too busy now. He is only doing this. He is only looking for votes. OK, that's a sample of some of the comments coming in. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. 
Mark is Farlin. The GAA Sports Star of the Month Awards on C103 with the Rochestown Park Hotel. So I'm in the twilight years of my Camogie career. Things like this for me were in the past, but it's phenomenal. The girls that I play with, they were my inspiration, my influence, and they spurred me on. The latest award winner is Emer Fennell of Sarsfields. She's recognised for the club's Cork Senior Camogie Championship success. The C103 GAA Sports Star of the Month Awards. Recognising outstanding achievement in the field of Cork GAA. This one's for you. C103. For C103 photos and more, follow us on Instagram at C103Cork. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now this week in the Dáil, Fianna Fáil, uh, Dáil Deputy Margaret Murphy O'Mahony raised the issue of recruitment and retention of GPs, highlighting a particular problem with one practice in Bandon. Deputy Margaret uh, Murphy O'Mahony joins me. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. Happy 29th anniversary. Yeah, thank you very much. You're, very, you're, you're doing a fabulous job. Thank you very much. And it all started down in Bandon. That's now, right. Okay, tell me what is going on with this GP practice in Bandon. Okay, Patricia, I suppose recruitment and retention is a huge problem right across the medical sector anyway, but it is hitting the GP sector very badly over the last couple of years. So in Bandon, we have a practice that has two vacancies. Now, one of those vacancies was advertised, and I know it's a while ago, 30 years ago, and there were 70 applicants for that position. Today, that is being advertised again, and there are none. So there are two vacancies at the moment in one of the practices. One is actually um, now and one will be up on the 1st of December. Now, I bought the situation up in the Doyle, as you said, and while while that's great, um, there's often an overemphasis in bringing things up on the floor of the Doyle. So not only did I bring it up, but I chased Minister Harris uh, physically and over the phone. And luckily and thankfully to him, um, there is a kind of a temporary solution. And this is what he sent me. He said, efforts are underway to fill both the current and upcoming vacancy with both posts currently being re-advertised. In the meantime, Cork Curry Community Healthcare is funding a full-time locum GP in the current vacant post so that eligible medical cardholders continue to receive the care to which they are entitled to. But, yeah, but locum is only a sticking plaster. It's, it's, that's all. And because, I mean, you can... I mean, for the other one. I, I think, you know, your, your stats about like 30 years, and I know 30 years ago is... Well, yeah. it's a, I know I'm sitting in this chair that long, so it's a long time ago. But, but for 70 people to have applied for a job that today nobody wants... Like what, yeah, what? it's 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 amazing, and I think a lot of it is to do with the GP contract. So, speaking of thirty years, 
the GP contract was formulated under the O'Connell deal in 1989, so 30 years ago as well. So a new contract needs to be negotiated in order to provide a better service and to make the job more appealing for particularly younger GPs we need to, apply. to Yeah, we need to in, in, incentivise. Absolutely. But do yes. we also need to train more young doctors to go into GP practice? Yes, there's probably a need to um, bring more into the system, which is a lot of these GPs now are going abroad. They have better opportunity, better pay opportunities, better upskilling opportunities, better hours. So I'm not sure that taking more in will solve the problem in Ireland. I think there needs to be more incentives to keep them in Ireland. Another thing that was changed lately there and may help with the retention was that the retirement age was uh, raised to 72. Now, quite a lot of GPs, because I'm on the Arrakis Health Committee, quite a lot of GPs have been on to me. Now, they welcome that, but some are reaching that age now and are hale and hearty and would be, you know, minded to go on for a few more years while they are able. So that may be another thing that would help with retention. Uh, uh, yeah, and maybe even allow them to work part-time because the yes. other thing that we're, we're hearing from the, the GPs that are there, I mean, if, you ha- if you've got practices that you can't appoint a GP to, that's putting huge pressure on the other GPs in the practice. We're heading it for is. burnout for a number of the GPs as well. Absolutely. And, you know, it must be pointed out that the you know, they have such responsibility. Like if you or me make a mistake, while it'll be embarrassing, it's not, there's no one going to be dead. Whereas with a GP, they have huge, huge responsibility and they are burning out. And, you know, the government keep announcing, say, the under six free GP care, which yeah. I, I do welcome. They're now extend, they now announce that they will extend that to under eights in 2020. While I do welcome that, there has been no negotiations with the GP sector at all. So they announce and then negotiate. And so something else I would like to point out as well, while I welcome free GP cares for under sixes and under eights, I think it is very important that children with special needs, no matter what age they are, get a free GP card because they need it whereas a lot of under sixes they may come from well off families and may not need it as as much you know I do welcome it but there certainly needs to be you know more provisions put in place and certainly consultation with GPs is essential Is there any extra funding for doctors who choose to work in a rural practice? No under the um, under FIMPI that was removed so now uh, Thank God a lot of the cuts in FIMPI are are being bought back. Whether that will be one of them or not, I don't know. There was um, there was an allowance for rural GPs depending on how far they had to travel. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of ways of incentivising it to try to encourage more young yes, doctors. Uh, and not so young doctors. But I mean, yeah. you know, Bandon, lovely town to live and work in. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And this particular practice has the state-of-the-art computer system. I mean, you you could be actually in New York nearly. It's just they really, really keep up with the times. And, you know, Bandon is so near Cork Airport, so near Cork City, so near the rest of West Cork, which is uh, beautiful scenery. You know, it's it's just amazing. that. It, and isn't, you know, there, isn't there also a problem, Margaret, brewing with South Dock? Yes. And you see, that's, it's like a domino effect. If you can't recruit and if you can't retain, 
obviously there's going to have a knock-on effect to Slough which again is, is in disarray. So the whole thing really needs to be looked at. And I think if, you know, GPs had maybe a better chance of upskilling, that might be another incentive. Now, I think sometimes a locum may be covered if someone wants to do a course, but they have to pay for the course themselves and bring that expertise back to their practice. So maybe if there was some financial Yeah, there's got, got to be. Or, yeah, we've got yeah. to incentivise it and just Absolutely. make make it a better option for the yes. young doctors. Are we going to have a huge problem? Because while we're focusing on Bandon, this this issue is not confined to Bandon. Other rural towns are having similar problems trying to appoint a GP. That's correct, yes. Yeah. Speaking to my colleagues during the week, nearly every constituency is facing this. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's shocking. You know, it's okay, and um, before problem. we let you go, because I can still see we're getting so many calls and comments in. What did you make of Danny Healy Ray calling for the permit to allow people to drink uh, a couple of pints? I mean, it would affect uh, people in your own constituency. You'd have a number yeah. of rural constituents. Now, I know yeah. we have rural isolation, but surely this is not the way to go. Yeah, like I, I would welcome, as was a, a common sense incentive that would allow uh, people to go for a few pints at night if that's what they wish but I, this is not the way to do it I think there needs to be a better transport system in West Cork and in rural areas and you know maybe grants to publicans that would allow them maybe lower insurance to bring people home or whatever but his way was was not the way to go about it but I do welcome that he did highlight rural isolation because it is a huge problem and there is a huge disconnect between Dublin, the East Coast and the rest of the country and Minister Ross seems to be like a rabbit caught in headlights any time that rural Ireland is mentioned by by all rural TDs, you know. Not it's it's the, almost the like folk. he doesn't understand what life is like in rural he Ireland. He doesn't get it. Now, he did visit West Cork. Yeah, I remember that. Years ago. And made yeah. huge promises. Yes, yes. And unfortunately, none none of them have come true, which is quite common, I suppose, with the government ministers. But he, so he would have seen the place, and um, but certainly does not get it. And he thinks the same rules apply to Dublin, where you can get a taxi any time of the day or night to someone who just wants to go for a couple of pints at night time and has no way home. So I think like funding needs to be put in because it is important if someone wants to go for two pints of a night that they can do that and they can get home safely. But that's not the way to go about it. OK. All right, Margaret, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you. For and uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Margaret Murphy O'Mahony. 1850 333 103. And you can also text the programme to 086 2 103 103. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 Now, Cork County Council has been urged to buy a rare artefact which once belonged to General Michael Collins and add it to a collection dedicated to his life which is housed in a museum that the council runs. Leading the call, the Mayor of Cork County, Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan, who joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. 
morning, Patricia, and like everyone else, congratulations on 29 years of an incredible service for County Cork. Thank you very much. Uh, you've done this proud, and you've always been very courteous and nice to me, so let's keep it going that way. <laughs> Thank you very way. much. <laughs> now, this auction is due to be held November 26th, and it's lot 84, which is a walking cane which once belonged to Michael Collins that is of most interest. Can you describe it to us and tell us what's known about it? Okay, so it's... Uh, First of all, this is uh, someone flagged this to me that this was coming up for auction. So it's kind of gathered a lot of momentum since then, and it's absolutely going a life of its own. It's been on in national radio, local radio. It's been all over the media. So it was just a comment because someone had had flagged to me that um, it, it was it was going in auction. But what it is is it's there's it a very famous image of Collins. He's standing in what appears to be a driveway of a house, uh, and he's in full u- uniform and in his time as commander in chief of the National Army. Um, and right by his side, and this is something that there's quite a few images of him, right by his side he has this uh, 92-inch rosewood cane. It's just a very small, uh, narrow cane. Um, but yeah, that, that's it. That's it. I mean, there's nothing in terms of uh, grandeur or anything like that about the actual item itself, but it's, it's the history of it, it's the iconicism of it, it's the fact that there are so many images of Collins depicted in his full uniform with this cane by his side, and it's the fact that there's also a very nice side story to go with this. Now, I'm no uh, historian, and I'm sure um, there are historians out there who have a whole wealth of information on the history of this game, but there's a, a lovely side story. His driver at the time, Jack Cormack, um, was shot in the leg and the hand, I believe, at the Red Corona in Dublin in 1921. And um, the big fella, in fairness to him, um, to, in order to aid him walking after the injuries, he gave him his cane and he handed it to him and that's actually That's how he came, came into the possession yeah, of, exactly. of, of Jack Cormack who then held on to it. He held on to it and now it's his it's, it's, a, it's a collection of Jack Cormack's memorabilia that is going on auction on the uh, 29th of November I believe. Okay. Um, and yeah so, so that's, that's how it came about and it was flagged with me and I thought listen we have a fantastic um uh, tourism attraction here in Clannacilty, the the Michael Collins house. We have a, a whole host of Michael Collins um, uh, related features around here. We have the Michael Collins Centre as well, up in um, just between Clannacilty and Timley. But the Michael Collins house is a newer attraction, um, and it's been a success. Its numbers have increased year on year. Cork County Council are managing it. Um, it is well worth a trip. It doesn't just tell the story of Michael Collins. It tells the story of, I suppose, the struggle for Irish freedom and the, the story of the Irish Revolution from uh, Tyke Nasna, Jeremiah Donovan Rasa, and, of course, uh, the big fellow himself, Collins. And listen, while there are some um, lovely artefacts in there, there's some lovely memorabilia in there, some of the memorabilia and artefacts in there are what we'd say, I suppose, uh, copies or um, some type of representation of the originals. But I think the more original artefacts like this that we can get into the museum with lovely uh, yeah, there's like something this special the fact that he held this in his hand you know and also the fact that he you know he, a friend was in need and said here look I have this it'll help you walk he probably you know intended getting it back when yeah. when Jack was better that unfortunately wasn't to be how much do you believe that this walking cane is worth 2000 is the figure that we're hearing at the moment which I think represent, would represent great value really good value for what it is at the moment now I suppose there is a tendency when uh, auctioneers or when the general public hear that the council involved whether it's buying a house or buying a bit of land or buying something like this that prices get inflated I hope that's not the case here and I hope that and I'm actually pretty sure that both the auctioneers and the people involved with this collection 
um, would also love to see it go on public display. Oh, I mean, be, it, would, be, it would be shameful if it ended up in a, in a private collection where no one, would, no one would get to see it. My only big fear, Christopher, is we're approaching the 100th anniversary of Michael Collins's death. There's huge interest in Michael Collins at the moment and there will be huge interest coming up to that anniversary. Is there a there danger will, that right. could push the price up? It might push, push the price up, but, you know, you say it's your great fear. I think this is the exciting thing about this whole event. And there's a lot of important commemorations coming up over the next while. The whole civil war is going to be a lot of, I suppose, soul searching and mending of divisions over the next couple of years. And I think this type of, listen, uh, let's call a spade a spade. I'm, I'm a Fianna Fáil councillor here uh, in Clannacilty. And some people will, will, will suggest that the idea of a Fianna Fáil councillor <laughs> uh, calling for a purchase of a Michael Collins memorabilia is mad, but I think that's we're coming into a really, really important period of our history where there's going to have to be a lot of uh, consolidation, a, a lot of um, soul searching, a lot of people kind of looking back and while appreciating what happened in the past, moving on as we have done as a society. And I think this, uh, you know, the, the, the Michael Collins Centre, as I said, the Michael Collins House uh, in Clannacilty is such a, an important tourism attraction that. We have to put all these things to one side and look at the bigger picture, for, uh, you know, in terms of this. So, does, I the really council, I, did, does the council have a fund for to purchase things like this from auction? They, I mean, they have a purchase for the running of the Michael Collins House. They have, oh, yeah, okay. brought, they have brought in new artefacts over the last couple of years. Quite a lot of their artefacts and memorabilia they would get on loan from the National Museum, which is grand, but they only get it for a short period, Patricia. And it would nice, it would be nice to have a real authentic bit of memorabilia for. Um, for, for, you know, permanent display inside the Michael Collins. And you don't know, I don't know, have you seen the catalogue? Is there anything else belonging to Michael Collins? Because it, it's an outstanding, it's an auction of outstanding Irish art. Yeah. Uh, it's part this of that only, auction. This is the only one I've been made okay. aware of. I suppose the story of Jack Cormack himself, the driver, might be interesting. And a lot of the collection uh, is, would have been his. his collection. So there may be other yeah. lovely gems. So who do you, do you send, do you send somebody from the council up with... That's it. I, I spoke to um, a member of our tourism staff yesterday. I've, I've emailed as well our, our own Western Division uh, officer here, you know, I suppose, indicating my wish for the item to be at least bid for. Um, and look, I think they'll, they'll approach this with a very open mind. They'll see the value of themselves. Hopefully I don't get a rap over the knuckles for jumping the gun. It, but I felt that someone had to make, um, had to, I suppose, highlight it and flag the fact that this item was there. Uh, and I know, look, the, the council will very much realise the value of this as well, and hopefully, hopefully we're successful. Uh, yeah. Because as you say, it would be shame w- if, if it was like, like so many other. I'm sure right across the length and breadth of the country, there's uh, beautiful artefacts with um, bucket loads of history that are just hid away in uh, hidden away in someone's uh, drawing room or something. So listen, this is one that needs to come home. It needs exactly. to come home and come back to us in in Clan. Okay, keep us updated on that, uh, Christopher. Do. Particularly when the hammer falls, pardon the pun, at the auction, and we actually have the have the cane in 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 our uh, back down at the museum. Just on a different topic, you've joined forces with the Clannacilty Community Mayor uh, Michael O'Neill. This is exciting. You want to plant trees? Tell us your plan. We're planting trees. Well, first of all, just uh, myself, and it's it's very interesting year that myself and Michael O'Neill, the Clan Guilty Mayor, both became mayors as such at the same time. Myself, mayor of the county, Mike, mayor of the town. Um, we went to school together. We went to college together. We actually lived together here in Clan Guilty for for a four year period. Uh, we're very very good friends. I was at his wedding. Um, I, have, I haven't had a wedding yet that he can come to, but I'm sure we'll work on that. But uh, we're very very close friends, and we both have. 
the environment and biodiversity very, very close to our hearts. And there's been a lot of, I suppose, reasons for an inspiration for this tree planting initiative where we're looking to plant at least 20,000 trees in 2020. But for me, it's been visiting national schools, Patricia, uh, in my role as mayor. It is on the top and at the top of all of their minds. And uh, whether it's planting wildflower gardens, whether it's trying to encourage bees, or whether it's just planting a few trees, these kids um, are incredible from right across the length and breadth of the county. It bodes uh, so well for the future, doesn't it? It does. It gives. It fills me with, I suppose, hope and joy as well that these kids really care about it. But that's been the inspiration. So we held a meeting last Tuesday night, which was very, very well attended, where we've now formed a working group. And the idea is that um, we, we want to plant 20,000 trees in 2020, ideally in the month of March, so it won't be all in one day. Um, geographically, we're talking about Clonakilty and the surrounding area, but trust me, uh, Patricia, if anyone comes from any part of the county looking to plant trees, we certainly uh, would welcome them. How, how will you fund it? So, um, th- this is interesting. Um, we will look for sponsorship from businesses. Okay. Uh, when we did this in Galan before, and I spoke to you about uh, this on, on, on your radio show before, we planted 5,000 native woodland species in Galan near Clonakilty. Yeah. Each and every one of those trees was denoted, donated by local nurseries um, and by uh, SWS Forestry Services. So we're, I'm hoping for a similar model, but at the same time, there are local nurseries here who need to, who need to survive as well. So yeah. what was really encouraging, Patricia, is that literally two minutes after our, minute, our, our meeting finished on Tuesday night, we got a phone call from an anonymous donor who said um, he was willing to contribute 10,000 trees towards the project. So we're halfway there. So while we said... Goodness me. I think that could be a very small figure. Um, you know, we're looking at doing... A, uh, housing estates um, so there are plenty of housing estates who are already indicated that they want to get involved and for example so I'll just give you I'm not sure how much time I have but I'll give no, you an example okay. of, I'll give you an example of how this might work so let's say we have an estate here in Connacilty called Antoparine I, I, I choose them now because they were actually there on the day um, they have representatives there that they would have a representative who would um, liaise with the uh, other 40-50 houses within that estate that they would agree to plant trees on a certain day. They have a huge green area within this estate, Patricia, um, that they have to pay to maintain, um, you know, to, to mow, etc. Even if a quarter uh, of this green area, which would be about a quarter of an acre, was set aside for either planting fruit trees or other native woodland species, then we would source the trees, we would provide the trees, um, they would uh, document and photograph the trees being planted. So, as we go on, we get an overall idea of how many trees have been planted. So it's almost like the way I like into is, you know, the teleton figure. Mm. You're looking at a counter. We have a, a, running, a running figure. And it's, it's, a a win, it's a win-win for everyone. It's, it's, it's a win. It's absolutely. Look, um, the, as I suppose civil leaders and as political leaders, particularly at local level, it's frustrating to try implement real policy change that's going to make a difference in terms of carbon emissions in terms of biodiversity and habitat. But if you think about it, there's absolutely nothing stopping us uh, from planting a few trees. Yeah. Uh, it feels good. It's a great activity. You're out in the open. Uh, there's health benefits to it. But listen, we're talking about future generations. That's I think the le- what, a, what a legacy to leave behind and for future generations to look back to 2020 and say, this is what they did in Clonakilty. It's fantastic. That's what it's all about. It's fantastic. If people want to get involved, contact myself um, or contact Mike. Uh, don't, we, we're, we're, we're very accessible and approachable so if you want to get involved if you want to donate if you want to be involved with tree planting if you identify a bit of land whether it's public, private if you're a GA club who wants to plant trees it all adds up and 
we could do something phenomenal here that could uh, spread countywide. Okay, well done. We'll talk again about it in the meantime, Christopher. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And thanks uh, for joining us. Good morning to you. That yeah. is the Cork County Mayor, Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan. We were talking about doctors and the problems that some, G- a lot of GP practices, not some, are having trying to appoint doctors. Nobody seems to want to work as a GP and they certainly don't want to work in a GP practice in rural Ireland. Uh, Dan says, doctors who get a free education in this country should have to give back three years service before allowing them to emigrate. The problem we have at the moment is many of our young doctors, as soon as they qualify, they're getting on the boats and the planes and they are leaving our shores. Dan says that is unfair. Many of them are going off to big tax-free jobs. They should be made to pay back something for the education they have received in this country. That's from Dan. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of texts and calls into the programme this morning. And firstly, thank you for a large number of people who are sending in very sweet and lovely texts uh, and calls to congratulate me on the 29th anniversary of the programme live at the same uh, time slot. I really appreciate them. I'm not obviously going to get to read them all out, but I'm, I'm the ones, the text ones are certainly coming into me here at the studio and I'm seeing and reading them all. So thank you. I really, really do uh, appreciate it. I have the best bunch of listeners that any radio presenter could ever, ever ask for and I appreciate each and every one of them, that's for sure. Okay, some of your calls coming in. Here's, now, I, this doesn't ring a bell with me but maybe it rings a bell with somebody else. The listener says, this is when we're talking about doctors. Hi Patricia, does anybody remember what was an RTE TV documentary on the Cuban medical system? It was done by a female doctor from the then Cork Regional Hospital, whereby, this obviously was in Cuba, medical students were educated in abundance and GPs were allocated an equal amount of families. And any information detected on any bugs or any viruses would be immediately shared and then addressed. The idea being there wouldn't be an epidemic. However, those practitioners, because this is Cuba, remember, also had to do a second job, like a restaurant, waitressing, uh, to substitute their income. It's probably why it's not common practice. And Cuba, for all its ills, was known for having and always known for having a great medical system. So maybe that is the reason why that they educated so many doctors. But no, the programme doesn't ring a bell with me. Maybe it does, though, with some of our uh, listeners. Thank you for your text. Patricia, that Shane Ross should never have been made a minister. This is the criticism of Shane Ross being a bit detached He's very much a Dublin TD and he seems to be, seems to be a bit of a disconnect with the man about what it is like to live in a very rural area. I wonder did he ever spend much time in a rural area and maybe if he did, maybe if we took him for a month and put him in a rural area and say, right, face all the challenges that the rest of us face. I wonder would he get a feel for what life in rural Ireland is like. Anyway, uh, Pat reckons he doesn't have a clue and the people that put him there are just as bad, says uh, Pat. And this idea from Danny Healy Ray of giving people a drink permit where you'd be able to drink two pints and then drive home. Somebody says people don't need drink permits. They're doing it all over the country and there's no one to catch them, says this uh, texter. Well, I would hate to think that there are that many people out drinking and, dr- and driving. For the majority of people, they don't drink and drive and there's a fear factor that you're going to get caught the next day and that's even putting people off going out and having a few drinks any night of the week if they have to drive the following morning. Hi Patricia, this is from Noel. Surely people can go to the pub and have a soft drink. Or go have a cup of coffee, have a cup of tea if you want to meet and chat. It doesn't always have to be about alcohol. 
Eugene on Twitter at C103 Cork. Can't we simply have a minibus and our taxis to and from the pub and drop the people home in that minibus or taxi? And on the day after, well, we need driver education on that issue because if you're over the limit the morning after that, it means you had too little time between your last drink the night before and sitting into the car the morning after. You just got to be careful with what you are uh, drinking. And as I've said to people, I bought it about about two years ago. We bought one of these little home breathalyzer kits. Would make a good Christmas present if you're looking for somebody who's nervous about driving the next morning and it'll give you just a rough idea where you are now in a court of law. If you're borderline on the home one, I would suggest don't drive until it tells you that the alcohol is out of your system. But I tell you, it was one of the greatest purchases that has ever come into our house. And I have, I, I remember on one occasion, a family member who had been spending time with us at Christmas and had had a little bit too much to drink on Christmas Day and was about to head away on St. Stephen's Day. And I said, we have a breathalyzer here, check it, was actually over the limit the next day and waited a few hours I was took the car keys off him and said you are going nowhere hon you're staying there until that breathalyzer tells me that you are okay so you can get one of those and as I say nice idea in the, in the lead up to Christmas they're available most chemist shops I think certainly I bought mine in a chemist shop so I'm assuming chemist shops are still uh, selling them or any of your electrical shops will have them uh, as well. That's for those people that are nervous about driving the next day. Rita says, Morning Patricia, could you please encourage people to still go out at night? Now this is to try to combat rural isolation and just enjoy catching up with friends and drinking on alcoholic drinks. I haven't drank alcohol since I was a teenager. I only drank one night And I went out for one night only. But I got so drunk. I swear to God, I was drunk for nearly three days afterwards. I decided there and then I would never drink again. I'm now in my 50s and I still stick to my decision of never drinking again. When we go out socialising now, we can go anywhere we want. We never have to worry about being caught that night or the morning after. And a very important point to make is I always have a great night out and I enjoy myself immensely. Congratulations on your anniversary. Always a great show. Thanks for that. That's from Rita. And says, Patricia, Danny Healy Ray is right. It's not the local farmers that come out for a couple of pints and the chat that caused the accidents. I think the latest idea they have come up with of cutting out all of the advertisements of alcohol in and around schools or playgrounds is simply stupid, as children are not going to be looking at them anyway. Are the people who are overweight going to give up eating just because they don't see pictures of food? There should be some form of transport made available for rural areas and that comes in from Anne thank you Anne and then somebody has sent me on a picture and there's a dollar sign on it so I take it this was photographed inside in a pub in the States maybe pubs in rural areas could install a machine like this and it's a breathalyzer machine basically and you put in your two dollars and you blow into something and it'll tell you if you're over at the limit it may not be accepted in a court of law says this texture but it might give the person some indication of the alcohol level that is in their system so they can get a chance and have a decision then to make whether they are safe to drive home or not I haven't seen a machine like that before but it's it's looks for two dollars you just breathalyze breathalyze yourself yeah it certainly make people stop and think if they put their two dollars in or your two euro in and then it turns out they are over the limit it might make them put their keys back in their pocket and walk home instead the one 
€190,000 that the two Healy Rays drew down in expenses would drive a lot of people home, says Morris, who is not impressed at all with the comments that came out from Danny Healy Ray uh, yesterday. 1850 Our lines remain open. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. College, now enrolling for Christmas Junior and Leaving Certificate Revision courses. Your success is built on their experience. See hewittcollege.ie. An experienced hotel accountant is wanted. That's at the Clonakilty Park Hotel. If you're interested in that position, a phone linesman is wanted. This is to work on Aircom, with an Aircom plant in the Cork area. Now, you need to be over 25 and able to work on your own initiative. Full and part-time sales assistants are wanted. That's for the Vodafone shop in Clonakilty. While CE Tree Services, they're looking for ground staff for immediate start. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. This month's award goes to Michelle Finn from Leevale AC. Michelle is recognised for setting a new Irish 2,000 metre steeplechase record at the Berlin ISTAF meeting. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103. This week's Corkman newspaper leads with a story highlighting the failure to replace a public health nurse who retired nine months ago, leading to a terminally ill man coming to within an hour of running out of painkiller medication. Fiona Coombs from Coulee gave powerful testimony at a public meeting in Ballyvorney's Abbey Hotel this week and as she joins me. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning. Now, firstly, our sympathies to you and your family on the on the death of your father, Dermot O'Sullivan. Uh, he passed away last month. May he rest in peace. So I appreciate this is a very difficult time for the family. But t- tell me about the day your dad was running out of pain relief medication and what you had to do. Yeah, thanks. Um, two days before he died, um, he'd been on the pump for over a week, the syringe driver that... Um, uh, administers pain relief and anti-nausea medication and unfortunately he'd had a, a rough night. We did have um, a wonderful nurse from the Irish Cancer Society here who had given him top-up injections through the night to help to try to settle him um, but the process had been that I would have a phone call early in the morning to let me know who and roughly what time that they would be at the house to top up the syringe driver. That didn't happen on this particular day. So when it came to within an hour of um, the thing running out, I started to make inquiries and it was obvious that nobody had been assigned to come to my father. Um, A few phone calls back and forward and um, one of the nurses did arrive but by which time the alarm of the pump had gone off and the medication had stopped administering and Dad was quite uncomfortable and um, she had to give him supplementary injections to try to relieve his symptoms. Um, and that situation would not have arisen had there been, a ded- in my opinion, a dedicated public health nurse in this area because Dad would have been totally on her radar and she would have been here at the appropriate time. 
And we're talking here, Fiona, of end-of-life care. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the public... I, I wasn't aware until we were in this situation with my father what a vital role that the public health nurses play, not just in um, day-to-day um, care of the very young, the very elderly, the chronically sick, but the crucial role that they play in um, delivering palliative care and end-of-life care to people who choose to die in their home setting. And like it was about, I believe, this time last year that your dad was discharged from hospital. So you would have had dealings with the public health nurse at the time. So you saw that when it works, how good it works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My father um, was diagnosed with an incurable cancer six years previously, had wonderful treatment from... um, Cork University Hospital had very successful um, rounds of chemotherapy, which, um, you know, extended his life and gave him a good quality of life. Um, Unfortunately, during that time, um, you know, side effects of the treatment and everything makes the body very fragile. And um, he was under the excellent care of the local public health nurse. He was attending her clinic in the health centre in Balavorny for years, having dressings, replaced on a regular basis had a great relationship with her when dad was due to come home unfortunately he had his last round of treatment started roughly this time last year um he became very ill had developed sepsis which was thankfully successfully treated by the hospital um the public health nurse played a vital role in dad's successful discharge home to my house to be cared for Um, He lost his mobility um, during that illness. Um, She had to do Trojan work, setting up um, specialist beds, mattresses, all the paraphernalia that's involved in caring for an immobile person in a home setting. Um, You know, she had to do requisition forms for all sorts of equipment and um, facilities that we needed. Um, She liaised very well with the discharge coordinator from the hospital, occupational health therapist, and she anticipated what my father's needs would become. She sounds like she was incredible. This is, um, oh, we might say, well, this is Ellen O'Leary, isn't it, was her name? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yep. she was the yep. public health nurse. And then she she was retiring, which is, of course, quite, quite entitled to retire. So it wasn't that she suddenly left the job. The HSE Absolutely would not. know when Ellen was going to retire. Yeah, in my opinion, it was a totally predictable event. She was retiring age um her management must have known that she was going to retire and um nothing nobody was appointed to take over from her so was there a locum came in for a short space of time there was yeah there was a lovely girl appointed um and eventually but not it wasn't a smooth transition there was a hiatus there um you know which is disconcerting for chronically ill people when they have a relationship with the nurse. Um, there should have been a handover period, um, in my opinion. Um, and yes, she she worked very well. And um, unfortunately, uh, she left the service in um, the summer to go back to education, I believe. And um, there's been no one since. There has been. There hasn't been anybody in Balavorny. The cover has come from. I believe, McCroom, but those nurses 
are doing their own work. They've, they've been given no extra resources as far as I know. They're doing their work and the additional work in this community and they're not based in the health centre here. So people that, like my father, when he was mobile, he was in the health centre in Balavorny two, maybe three times a week sometimes, getting dressings changed, um, different things with the public health nurse. I believe those people now have to travel to McCroom in order to access those services. And we're talking about the elderly and the chronically ill. Now, that would have been hugely inconvenient and a big struggle for your dad and, and for you as his carer if you had had to take him to McCroom. Absolutely. It would have added an extra dimension to, you know, the day-to-day care for sure. And was it, Fiona, very important to your dad that he died at home? Absolutely, yes. He um, he didn't want to die in hospital. He'd expressed that to us. Um, and, you know, that we were blessed that we were in a situation to accommodate his wish. Was it ever suggested to you that you would be better off putting your dad into the hospice? Yes, it was. And it was suggested to him, particularly in the, the last weeks of his life, um, repeatedly to the degree that I had to say to the palliative nurses, please don't ask my father again because I don't want him to think that we as a family do not want him here. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of them actually said to my father, it would be easier on everybody. But what I believed she meant, would it would have been easier on them that they didn't have the logistics of having to get somebody... Yeah. Out to us. Uh, and he did die at home and uh, you were all with him, I take it, were you? Yes, we were, yeah, yeah. which, as I say, it was a privilege. Yeah. Ah, goodness me. Uh, did you, somebody, and, and it was a question I was going to ask, uh, did Fiona ever complain? Did you ever complain to the HSE, particularly about the, the day where the morphine pump ran out? Did you complain? I didn't complain formally. I rang um, a, a couple of occasions because, again, it was difficult to get in touch with whoever was covering for this area. We had telephone numbers and you'd ring them and um, I believe that they had problems with um, secretarial services as well and the number that was supposed to be in McCroom that was supposed to be answered wouldn't be answered and you would connect to somebody in Gorona Broha and unless she knew what named nurse you were looking for she couldn't help you so there were days where I found it very difficult to get in touch with anybody to get dressings to get supplies to get um, you know the things that we needed to care for dad at home and the job of a carer Fiona is tough enough as it is and and particularly I think end of life where you know you're saying goodbye to a much loved dad you know every help should be put in place Um, for you. You shouldn't be battling. You shouldn't have to be endless phone calls. No, definitely not. And, um, you know, I had great backup from the GP, the GP's nurse, the GP's receptionist. They had other numbers that they could ring and actually make contact with people that weren't given out to the public. Um, I had great support from our local pharmacy when I'd run out of the specialist dressings. They don't stock the specialist dressings because they're normally provided to people in the community by the public health nurses, but they were able to help me access similar 
things. Um, you know, there, there were there were real problems there in um, getting hold of supplies and things. Whereas, I say, all the years that there was a public health nurse here, that that wasn't an issue. And you know, and as I say, I'm I'm not critical of any of the people that were tasked with covering here because they were having their own work to do. What other organisation asks its staff to do a day's work and then do somebody else's work on top of it? Yeah, it wouldn't happen in the private um, sector for sure. And and you're talking about items that your dad, you needed for your dad just to make your dad comfortable. Yes, that's correct, yeah. Shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Stay there because I want to bring in uh, Padre O'Rearda who organised the meeting um, that Fiona attended on uh, Tuesday. Uh, good morning to you, Padre. Good morning. Padre, Fiona's story is, is, is heartbreaking and it is just totally unacceptable. Are you or have you heard similar stories? Well, I was late coming home from a wake of my dear beloved neighbour who died yesterday. Her daughter was a nurse. And she was recounting she had an even more horrific uh, interaction with the same service in Cork, to see and so on. See, people forget that we are an hour and 20 minutes away from Cork with traffic at the moment. And uh, all people that need dressings changed or sick people that need dressings changed, some of them might be on their own and have no transport. There's no way they can get into McComb. Uh there's, there's no way they wouldn't get a set up a service unless a neighbour can do it. And I'm, I greatly regret to say, but in this day and age, community is not as close in it as it used to be. Mm. We're lucky around here, but you don't always have neighbours who are are at home farming or something. That the, most of them are at work during the day, so that's the time that you usually are ordered to attend a clinic to get something changed at specific hours. It's a real bugbear, this whole business of ring from nine to five or whatever. Yeah, and now uh, asking people to, to go the extra distance. Well, not only that, when you ring, it's press number one or I press know, number four, or press the other and you're waiting for hours and you're on the phone from far, far away. And Padre, public health nurses look after people from cradle to grave. So I take it the problem's at the cradle end as well, in that, in that well, babies well, are not being checked. You mentioned that now, that since last February in our Great Island, retired. No baby around here has had their check, you know, no newborns, and there's quite a lot of them. Population is going rapidly. Um, and, you know, when there's a preemie that they need more checkups, and when there's twins, a lot of these people, uh, nobody around here has had that checkup done, or home visits or anything that comes after a new since, baby born. Since February? No. And, and it's, unfair to think, it's unfair to think that the staff that are based in McCroom can look after other places apart from them because they're they're busy, busy enough. enough as has the HSE said why a public health has not been appointed to the Ballyvorney well, area? Uh, we understand that there was somebody appointed but that the person hasn't been released because they're so busy inside the city. But you see, if I lived on the edge of the city and the city itself, I could get a bus somewhere or I could uh, walk quite often within the city I'll get a taxi you can't do that out in the sticks we're way out and we're on the county balls and this time of the year today last night free, froze hard so all the cars were frozen mm. in the morning so it's like that's the reality of life which we love living around here the other thing is we're in the Gaeltacht you know uh, and, and, if, and listening... if you keep doing this I'll give you another example uh, quite some time ago I never noticed it I don't know how many years ago our local social welfare officer Paddy Cockery retired and wasn't replaced. 
So you have to go into McCroom into a weird place up the side of a road somewhere to get... And most of these people that need these services don't have transport. So they just don't bother. They just don't do it. And, you know, to hear Fiona talking about how, how lucky and how great she was to have a good um, local GP, they must yeah. be picking up the flak and working flat out to pick up the of flak. <laughs> because they can't turn... Of course they have to do it. And, and, and like, that's another thing. In the in the the local Unadswaja, that that was built. I suppose 120, 30 years ago. The great Dr. Lynch, board of first fruits in McCroom, built that um, the eighteen eighties. And there was an extension done thanks to the changeover from the health board to the HSC and our local committee that runs this, uh, the the meals and the sheltered accommodation uh, on the na- nearby canvas camp- can campus. They managed to swing extra funding in to get the place renovated, but it was a kind of a rush job. So all the stores in the Unadswaja are in the public toilet there. So there's no public toilet. That's unreal. And you know, Sloan to Care, which is health, which is our healthcare going forward, is all about care in the community. And listening to the frustration of what poor Fiona and her family had to put up with, that wasn't care in the community for sure. No, and we. Like we support, for example, there's a great organisation was called Co-Action. Yeah, no as well. We regularly do concerts and stuff to support them uh, in my own private role. Like because we 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 use them ourselves. I have a son who makes two. I have two children that make use of Co-Action. They're a wonderful organisation, and they are about keeping people in the community. Uh, and they find it tough going because they're spread over a huge area, Cork County is 10% of the land mass of Ireland and 10% of the population when you throw in the city. Mm. Uh, uh, it's a very long distance from Castletown Bear to Cork City and not to mention Dublin. So it's important that we keep these outlying places going. Because Absolutely. We can't. We could just and people, and people want, want to live and, and work here but they need to have uh, the services. Uh, listen, Padre, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. And Fiona, uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. We, wa- we will get on to the HSC to see if they've got any date on the appointment of a public health nurse uh, for the area. But uh, thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning. Much loved comedian and actor Pat Short is currently on a nationwide tour with his show simply entitled Hey! And he'll be performing the show at the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway this night week, Friday the 22nd. Delighted to say... Pat Short joins me. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. You've been touring with this stage show for the last year. I have. It sounds like like a penance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Describe it to us. Well, I suppose, uh, like, people would know me from characters is what I do as opposed to stand-up. Although I've kind of started mixing a bit more stand-up into the show. And I... I, the show was kind of based loosely around a bunch of <clears throat> characters that I would have known from kind of where I grew up and that kind of rural characters. That's that's what I write about. And um, there's a mix of characters there. And of course, uh, uh, gosh, what is the show about? It's a hard one to kind of tie down a bit. It's, I suppose it's about me growing up in Turnus and Tipperary and, and uh, observations of what I grew up uh, seeing, whether it be the GA, because I grew up in, in a town that's kind of dominated by the GA. Yeah. And then, of course, the, we Templemore training 
the place running around the corner so the guards would be a very big part of it as well uh, so I have a guard a character there which I've done in the past and he brought him back to life with a, with a whole lot of new material and stuff like that so it's kind of a mix and I get down into the audience and have a bit of fun as well so that's what, what and I've the, t- the title Hey, hey. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you see, titles are a strange thing. When we're, we're putting shows together, you kind of don't tend to think of a title as such. But of course, the media love a title and mm. the press and press releases and everything going out and the marketing people and everything else. So they're always looking for one. And I, I, I remember a few years ago, I was writing a show and I was kind of based in New York at the time and, and I got the phone call saying, oh gosh, I had only written a small bit of the show. And, it was, and they, they were looking for a title for the press because the show was going on tour about three, three months later when I got back. And I said, uh, selfie, because that, that's a name that came to my mind. <laughs> it had absolutely nothing to do with the show. <laughs> and I thought, it's a catchy name. And it worked, and they said, geez, that's a great name for a show. And they put it on the poster, and everything was great. My first interview then, what uh, selfie is? Is it an introverted look at yourself? <laughs> I was like, Jesus, it's nothing to do with anything. <laughs> and hey, it's, it's kind of a bit like that. I, I was a very good friend of mine in Tipperary, and every time he rings me, <clears throat> he's got a very strong South Tipperary accent. And every time he rings me, he goes, hey, uh. Shorty, what do you do? <laughs> so I just liked it and I thought I'd put it so it's not hey it's hey you see I'm I'm from South Tip where we say around Clonmel where you know when, when you meet someone it's well that's right and Turles is the same yeah. well yeah and, yeah. and, and I, one of my sisters to this day will send a text message and she'll start it with well well and I keep it's the and it cracks me up every time I haven't the heart to say it to her because it cracks me up every single text message from my sister as well and then she'll go into the text <laughs> well when I used to go to Limerick first when I very first came down I go well to everybody yeah. <laughs> just so used to it as a, as a kid growing up and of course everyone thought it was hilarious to go water yeah, and I never got that. Yeah, I'd go, yeah. Water, what? Yeah, what, yeah. what are you? And they'd be all roaring laughing, and I'd be going, "What? Because <laughs> it is. It's very much a Tipperary thing. Well, yeah, and, <clears> and <throat> it's, it's when you're back there and you hear it. It's, yeah. it's just when you see it out of context, and when, when it comes to text messages, as I say, it cracks me up. The audience participation part, yeah. right? Do you see fear in people's eyes? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when you when you approach them, well, it's funny. You see people shifting. You don't see much in their eyes because they don't want eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody looks at you directly as you're flying down. But I think people enjoy it because they know at this stage. I don't. I don't take the piss out of people. People may feel awkward, kind of being, uh, you know, me talking to them. But all I'm doing is talking, and uh, using them as a as a kind of a vice for my character to to, to tell a story. They're a um, prop. Uh, it's exactly so. I don't ever dra- I, like. Okay, I do the odd time. <laughs> And move people around and things like that, but generally speaking, it's it's all kept in the context of of the of the character in the show, and not. I don't tend to put anyone up there to to embarrass them. I certainly wouldn't even dream of doing that. So it's fun. It's 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 in the. It, I think it came about really from when myself and John Kenny years ago was done. Believe us, were starting to do shows. We ended up doing shows in pubs and all sorts of where you didn't have dressing rooms. And we used to play different characters. So we'd go in behind a bar, for example, or into a storeroom, and you'd jump into a quick costume, and out you'd come. And of course, to get to the stage, you'd have to go through the audience. So you can't go through the audience without commenting. And inevitably, all our characters would kind of talk to the audience, and we incorporated that into the thing, into the, the character and the show. And that's kind of why it's, it's I still do it because it then became a trait of mine, you know. So, and but it's, it's probably some of the funniest parts. But I mean, but I was at the opera house. You had women up on stage making ham sandwiches. Oh, yeah. 
Like in two years, like, yeah. And they did. I because watched they were the, Yeah, and I, I watched the. And a big slice bands came on. I watched these poor women all dressed up in their Sunday best. And they made the ham sandwiches, which then got passed out around the audience. I it was incredible. It was just incredible. But this one in Hay, Tipperary Tulip. Well, yeah, you see, I think uh, this is going back to, again, my childhood in, in Turles. Um I don't know if you ever remember, Patricia, the Mocker and Farmer, Queen of the Plough. I do. And yeah. uh, back in the day in local radio, I interviewed them. Uh, no way. I did. Well, they, I did. There you go. Well, you remember, I remember that as a kid in Turles. And I think it's gone to Tullamore now. It is, yeah, it's got moved. Uh, and moved. But it used to be one of the biggest events, the uh, beauty pageants of the year. So I suppose this whole uh, section of, of the show is kind of my memory of, of uh, beauty pageant and the Tipperary Tulip is the one I kind of the name I use to to to, to kind of uh, reflect it. So it's it, it's it's yeah, it's good because it was it was our version of the Rose of Tralee in Tipperary yeah. is is what it was. Yes, exactly. It was um, the, the and they were lovely. Lord. They were lovely girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, <laughs> I always remember them coming down to town on tractors and trailers waving. There was a parade at the end on the on bales of hay. On bales of hay, yeah. yeah. And we'd be flicking fag butts at the bales oh! of hay. <laughs> good God. <laughs> You could have killed half those lovely uh, girls. So, so, so you bring the audience participation. Is you're looking for people to take part in the Tipperary Tulip? I'm looking for some lovely tulips okay. in the audience. <laughs> and, do, and do you get lovely tulips? I you do. do. Yeah, you no, do. it's great fun. It's great fun, actually. Yeah, um, you have to come and see it, but. Um, and listen, when the minute I mentioned you were coming on the programme, my people saying, oh, ask him about killing a scully and any chance of a coming back. I know, no, unfortunately. Um, I'm working on a couple of projects at the moment, but no, just, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you, but you can just listen to the news or tease up in the heap over finances yeah. and one thing or another. So making projects like that, that was a great programme to make because it was one of the biggest uh, comedy series they made and it was very successful um, we made it <clears throat> independently but it was a very expensive project to make we had a huge cast huge location we were down the country making it everything else it was successful for RT but it was a it was a big um, expensive investment for them, and it it worked for them. But it's I think to find that kind of uh, money nowadays w- wouldn't be there. So I, just uh, look, I'm I'm toying with some ideas and uh, pitching some stuff to RT, which would be kind of maybe bring back certain elements of Killing the Scully and stuff like that. But I'd okay. love to, but I don't think it's that in the near future. You have your music one, so the yeah yeah. We just started a new series on Sunday last. That's go- that's going down really well. It's a huge reaction to it. Yeah, well, it's you know it, it's funny. <clears throat> Reeling in the years kind of started this whole genre of looking back through the archive. I mean, it's not it's not new. It's been happening for donkey's years and uh, all over the world in different channels. But I, I, I suppose our slant is slightly different. Reeling in the years is looking at news items and, yeah. and stuff like that, and and p- politics mainly, current affairs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We were looking at music and entertainment because that's the background I come from and uh, bands and stuff and we started pulling out finding stuff that was great material and then a lot of artists that we might have heard of for a long 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 time Roly Daniels people like that mm. that I think were just incredible artists incredible musicians and um, even though I probably wouldn't have been a fan of them when I was younger but uh, the more the more you mature you realise these guys are actually great talents and uh, ladies they're incredible talents so it, it, it's fantastic to look back at it and pull it and out and a song <clears throat> can bring you back to a memory in a different era. It's like cut grass, isn't yeah, it? You know when yeah, you get the smell of cut grass yeah. in the summertime and you remember when you were a young fellow That's or exactly, that's and exactly it. Music is the same. When you hear a team tune from 
Glenrow, Kilnes Cullies, anything like that. It brings you back to those Sunday evenings. And have you your homework done, the Glenrow? Yeah, yeah. Now, and we we watched you. We saw you on the late late on the, the tribute to Gay Byrne with the, yeah. with with uh, John. Your exposure on the late late was was that? Would you say that really was what got you guys started? Oh, there's no question of it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely no question of it. I mean, when they say you could be made by the late late show back in the day, that, that was very very true for that time, and it was a different time than the late late now. But Gayborn was a he was a phenomenal man and and, and a influence over the whole country. And if he said he liked you, you instantly people said, "Look, we'll go and see that show." You know mm. what I mean? And that's what happened in our case. He loved us. He was mad into what we were doing. He loved comedy. He loved jazz. We were playing jazz and, and doing comedy, and he loved coming along to see us. And the interaction with the crowd was quite different at the time. So he championed us on the late late and on the radio show. And he used to come and see us with Kathleen all the time and Brilliant. come back to the dressing room and chat to us. Even up to uh, when I was doing my own solo show a couple of years ago, myself and Jerry Ryan and Harry Crosby used to come backstage every Monday night to me. And we'd sit there and have a few drinks and chat. And, and uh, he was he, that was his night out with the lads for dinner. They used to go out to treat him. And we used to have great times uh, chatting and everything else. So he was, all, he was always a great fan of ours. And he was a dub, but he got the, he got the roar of the country jokes. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's supposed to okay, it's like everyone there only is stones throw from the country that's it, that's in it. Dublin and then he spent a lot of time in Donegal and down the country and working on the Rose Trilly and all these different festivals places. so you know he was all the time down the country as well and then we, we we lost one of our own here in Cork this week with with Niall Tobin yeah. um, would you have ever worked with him? I I, I knew Niall very well um, actually down through the years uh, through the connection through John Kenny actually he was John's uncle so that's how I got to know uh, Niall very very well down through the years and I spent many a night hiding behind the curtains in his house while he was trying to kick us out at three in the morning <laughs> I never, he, he, he's John Kenny's uncle he is he's uh, Judy his wife at the time was John oh Dad. I didn't realise yeah. that I didn't realise that so there was a close connection with us and Neil and, and we knew him very very well he was a beautiful man and all the family you know the, the lovely lovely people um, so it was uh, another sad loss it was a very, very sad loss, but he was a legend. He was an iconic character, you know, that, that heavily influenced myself and John as well. You know? And another very, very funny guy. Oh. And you can look back on any of his things online and, you know, yeah. they'll still make you laugh today, stuff that he did I, many years ago. Like, I remember as a kid having a tape, he's a stand-up tape, and it was just the funniest thing I ever, ever heard. And I've always said he was one of my biggest influences uh, in the way he did the accents and the characters. And he's turned a phrase and he's very Irishness about his story, but a very, very proud Corkman. There's yeah. no question of it, you know. OK, and you've done film, you've done TV, you've done plays, you've done it all, but the live shows, are they, are they still the ones you enjoy the most? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't be getting up in front of an audience and having the crack and the, the, looking at the fear in people's eyes and the fear in my eyes when things start going a bit crazy. <laughs> so, there's nothing to beat it, you know. It is. It's, it's a fantastic experience. OK, and uh, Mary says, would you just tell Pat Short, please, that music from the telly is my favourite programme. I love seeing all those old clips. Keep up the good work. Oh, OK. And you are coming to the Parkway Hotel in Dormanway this night week. That's right, yeah. Looking As they say, to one night only. First in years and years and years. years. In Enjoy it. It's a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you and for that. Listen, Patricia, happy birthday to you. 29 years. Thank you very radio. much. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> bye bye. I never thought you were that old. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks a million. That's the, the, the one and only and the wonderful uh, Pat Short uh, playing the Parkway Hotel in Dumbanway this night week. And actually seeing, as we me- we've mentioned, uh, Neil Tobin, there is a book of condolence has opened at uh, Cork City 
council offices. It was uh, opened uh, yesterday and uh, it is open, I'm assuming, during normal office hours and his funeral mass will take place at the Church of St. Paul of the Cross in Mount Argus in Dublin on Monday at half past 12 with uh, burial in Mount Jerome Cemetery. That's uh, the late great Neil Tobin. May he rest in peace. On the way, I'll take a look at your calls and comments that have come in and we'll get to those. And we'll also go to the movies with Mark Malone. Hi, Nick Richards here from C103's Afternoon Show. Santa's on his way and he wants to talk to court kids. Ho, ho, ho! I just can't wait to talk to you all on Cork's Greatest Hits, C103. The countdown to the big day is on, so don't miss your chance to talk to the big man himself. It's so easy. Simply go to c103.ie and fill out the special entry form for your chance to get a Christmas call from Santa. With World of Wonder, Blackpool and Mallow, for toys that spark imagination and joy. Worldofwonder.ie Get ready for Santa's Christmas calls. I could be talking to you with Nick Richards in the afternoon only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of people, by the way, have acknowledging and saying well done to Fiona Coombs and Pado Rierda, who joined us earlier speaking out as Anne says on what is a disgraceful situation for the Ballyvorney area, the fact that there is no public health nurse since the wonderful public health nurse and lots of people are saying how fantastic Nurse O'Leary was, Ellen O'Leary, since she retired in February of this year. There was a locum for a while, but there's been none certainly since the summer. There's been no public health nurse and I thought Fiona's story was just so powerful talking about her dad and you could get that sense of panic that day when she realised that his morphine syringe driver was running out and you know this is a man at end of life goodness it just you you know you're struggling enough to say goodbye to a much loved dad and you're looking after him as best as you can without knowing that his pain relief is suddenly going to disappear on him it's just unacceptable Uh, Deputy Andreas Moynihan uh, Fianna Fáldal Deputy for the area was listening and, and he's contacted us good morning Good afternoon to you, Andreas. Hi there, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome. This is, a, this is an unacceptable situation. It is, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's out of order. And like Fiona put it across very well on the radio, as she did earlier in the week at the, the public meeting in Bolivorn as well. And I think um, it really hit home with people the, the role of the, the public health nurse because we would often associate uh, with... Uh, coming around doing the, the checkups on the on the, the newborn babies and so on and maybe after that that a lot of people may not have uh, may not have been as familiar with with the role. Because and for many of us we don't need a public health nurse after that you, and you, you go don't. on along your merry way it's only when you're faced with the situation like what Fiona was faced with you realise the importance of their role to the community. That's right it's hugely important and to have somebody who's who's they're available who has that that touch, that ear that, you know, that you can connect with and that you know is going to be able to deliver that sensi- that service with that sensitivity as well, somebody familiar. And El Nolary had done it so well, so fantastic for so long. And we we've had a number of of people filling in in the in the posts in the meantime. But really uh, we need HSE to get on with making the, the new appointment and ensuring that that person is based locally and can serve the community locally. I've, I've raised it during the week with the Minister for Health in the Dáil for, to impress on him that look, this need is there and it's been far too long. Like if you imagine somebody is retiring, it's a known date. Absolutely. It's planned. 
and that there should be greater preparation um, and that they should be in a that the HSE should be in a position to quickly um, make a uh, to, to fill that vacancy again. But it, and when I, when I raised it with the minister, uh, he was he undertook to, to follow up with the, the HSE on it. But um, it really it follows that that same theme of where we're seeing health services in rural areas gradually, gradually squeezed and more more difficult for locals to get access. And I've raised it previously as well about the getting access to GP services locally. And I know you were you we were discussed that, that as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's it's really like when you when you have the whole move of Slanticare to to deliver services in the community, um, you need to be able to have the people for it to deliver it. Mm. And th- that they're the point that we really need to get across. Absolutely. And, it's, you know, it's not that people are asking for much. It's not that people are saying that we want, you know, the very same services that are available in, in, in a city. But we we want a fair shot at being able to live in, in rural areas. And I, I loved the way Fiona spoke about Ellen, that when her dad first came home about this time last year, she was able to preempt what they would need. So she was able to say in another month's time, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and it's only a really good public health nurse is able to do that. And then they get to know the family and then she's only a phone call away from them. And that would, would make and would have made Fiona's care of her dad so much easier. It would have. And like Ellen was so tuned in on that. Uh, with years of experience, and the the, the girls who have uh, who have replaced in the meantime, the the nurses they're they're fairly well tuned in on it as well, and they're they're delivering. But it's chopping and changing. Yeah. And like you, it's very difficult to get to know a person uh, if there's if that turnover is there. And really, what we need to do is to get from that interrupted service to. Um, to a place where we have a consistent service a, delivered. A, a, per, a permanent person yes. that everybody gets to know their and name, the way everyone got to know Ellen, and that it's and that he or she's based in the community. That's right, yes. Yeah. Having somebody lo- uh, based in the centre and strengthening the centre that's there instead of the risk of stripping services out of the area uh, and and leaving, leaving us without services okay. that we would have. All right, keep us updated, Andreas. For sure. Thank you for that. And, and happy birthday on the 29th. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, Dáil Deputy Andreas uh, Moynihan joining us. Oh, and by the way, I want to give a mention to this because we've done interviews with West Cork Connect uh, before. This is the new bus service out of West Cork into Cork City. They got confirmation this week that the West Cork Connect buses are now able to accept the free travel pass. So that's going to be big, big uh, news for people in the West Cork area who have the free travel pass. You can jump on the West Cork Connect bus if you need to get into and out of the city and you can use your pass. Some of your texts coming in, still getting in commentary on Danny Healy Ray on this idea of a permit to allow people to drink. Hi Patricia says, Anne, the publicans don't want to see you if you don't drink alcohol as that's their livelihood and people just coming in for the chat it's not going to feed their family so for people saying go to the pub and don't drink but you can go and buy minerals they still make profit on minerals so you can go and buy have a cup of coffee have a cup of tea many of the pubs do food you know there's other things that you can do in the pub as well thank you for your text and Mag says hi Patricia I believe Danny Healy Ray's proposal for allowing people in rural areas to have two pints could have the reverse effect to what he thinks 
Uh, people won't stop at two drinks and in my opinion there would be a lot of them that would fall into that category. They're the very same people then that could end up losing their licence if they were stopped by Angarda Corner and they were breathalyzed. That then would lead to them off the road completely and would lead to much more isolation. It is not the solution, says Mags. It is absolutely a crazy idea. Sandy says, the... Uh, on drink driving uh, on drink drive Uh, does the person who suggestion about providing a bus service for late evening not realise the insurance premium costs would cripple the providers of those buses while TDs in the insurance industry complain about the claim costs and demand minor injuries be removed from compensation they do nothing about claims for injuries received by those engaged doing illegal or criminal activity Mick says all those people that are anti-drink don't own pubs. You need to remember the Healy Ways do. Help yourself, says uh, Mick. And the pub goers, says another texter, would rather spend money on drink than money on a taxi. Well, that's a bit unfair because there are some people in areas where they literally can't get a taxi if they're in a very, very rural area. Michael in Bantry says, Patricia, why can't all rural pubs think outside the box and try, for example, an alcohol-free night have one alcohol-free night a week. We'd have games or music, or music, or come up with some other kind of a theme. Publicans might be surprised at the interest. Just abstaining from alcohol when others are around just is never going to work. Says Michael from Bantry. Whereas everybody, if everybody has to abstain, maybe, maybe it just might work. Column in Bantry, sorry, column says there is a limit already in place when it comes to drink driving. We have a drink drive limit. So I don't know what Danny Healy Ray is on about. I go for a drink about once a month, says uh, Column. I don't go out every week, but once a month we do go for a drink. I normally have two drinks. I will sip them over the entire evening. I was stopped one night by Angarda Shia who said, have you been drinking? I said, yeah, I had two drinks. They said, blow into this, please. I did. I was under the limit. So there is a limit. So I'm not sure what Danny Healy Ray is talking about. Okay, 1850-333-103 on doctors and GP practices and trying to get GPs, young GPs in particular, to take up a role as a GP in a rural area. Sandy says, why are doctors expected to fund their own buildings, their own equipment and their own secretarial staff in their medical centre when a major proportion of their paperwork is required by law and is required by the HSC. Then you've got the crazy situation of South Dock and many doctors nationwide renting properties in towns. This is in towns who already have a hospital. Many of those hospitals will have fully equipped surgeries lying idle for 16 hours a day and all of the weekends. They could be covered. So Sandy's idea would be you'd move all of the, if you had a town with a local hospital all of your doctors will be based out of that hospital. You could, they could be covered by the HSE insurance, thus reducing GP costs and other organisational headaches, as well as the hospital being ready accessible when needed. So Sandy, well, it might work if you have a hospital in, in the town. But yeah, think outside the box, I think, uh, is what Sandy is saying. And we were talking about TV earlier on, particularly with regard to Pat Short and people having very fond memories of Kinnis Gully. Interesting to hear him say how expensive that show was to make because it was a big cast and it was, they were outside the pale. So it was, you know, they had to put people up. Uh, 
for where they shot it and just he reckons with RTE and all the talks of RTE having no money he can never see a day certainly not in the foreseeable future that they'll be able to afford to produce another comedy like that again but Joan in Formoy is watching TV she said she's so cross or got so cross watching TV last night uh, because of repeats in prime time slots. Now she said I don't mind if they have to have repeats at four or, four or five in the afternoon or four or five in the morning. But she said at nine and ten o'clock at night that's prime time viewing. She said we had the Young Offenders on on Monday and the same programme was repeated on Wednesday. Then she said last night a programme came on on the moving statues. That programme was shown about two months ago. But wait for it. When it was shown two months ago, it was already a repeat because it had been shown last year. So what are we paying the licence for? Many of, particularly, takes umbrage to repeats at prime time. I, th- I think I have to agree with you. I do have to agree with you. I can understand repeats during the day and very late at night, but on prime time. And I noticed that. I noticed a few times when I flicked over to RTE, you know on the nights when there's nothing on and you're flicking around and you start to look at something, think, I've seen this already. I mean, it's, God, I might need to repeat. And, and a repeat at a prime time is not something you typically see on a national broadcaster. I don't think, I know I'm wrong to be comparing. I can't compare it with BBC, but you certainly would never get a repeat on a primetime slot on the BBC, that is for sure. But the Young Offenders, and I did see it on Monday, I know it's ahead on the BBC, but I'm being loyal to RTE and I'm watching it on uh, RTE and I certainly enjoyed it. It made me laugh out loud. There's cringe moments in it where you've you've got my head in my hands going, oh, I can't watch this bit. That's what the Young Offenders, I think that's part of the charm of the Young Offenders, but I, I certainly am enjoying it. 1850 And once again, thank you. There's still lots of texts and calls coming in congratulating me on the 20, and the, that I'm doing the show for 29 years. And I now officially am doing it for 29 years because we started broadcasting at 12 midday was when I spoke for the first time 29 years ago. So thank you. It's just I, 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 I will be here all day if I was reading out your text, but I, I am reading them. I'm just not reading them out over the air, airways. Too humble to do all of that. But thank you. There's such lovely, kind, kind comments coming in. And I appreciate each and every one of them. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The grand draw for Ballyhay Community Hall. That's going to be held in the Corbett Court tonight at 8. Tickets are €10. They're still on sale with uh, great prizes sponsored by Charleville Plant Hire and Husqvarna. A lip sync competition aided the Irish Kidney Association that will be held in Dunmore House Hotel in Clonakilty tonight. Tickets available from 087-6607-383. Shambhalimore National School, they've got a fundraising fashion show in the Fergus Hotel in Mitchellstown tonight. Half seven start. Tickets available from the school. Bantry Bay Lions Club, they're hosting a pop-up charity shop in aid of Ark in Bantry and Syrian refugee children. It's in the Old Credit Union office adjacent to Ma Murphy's. It's open from today to Friday the 29th of November from 10am to 5pm daily excluding Sundays. St. Patrick's Boys and St. Joseph's Girls National School. They're holding a table quiz in the Tanyard Bar. That's tonight at 8. All are welcome. Kildare Bingo goes ahead in the GAA Hall half past eight. Please note the change of venue for the bingo. While Knocknagree GAA have a lip sync competition tonight, it's in the INEC in Killarney. Eight o'clock start, proceeds going towards the Field Development Fund. Muscarie Rugby Football Club 
I've got a table quiz tonight at 7 in Muscogee Golf Club. Tables are for €40. Euro. Proceeds going to the under 12 tour. Uh, quiz suitable for all of the family. And Mary Coogan, that's Mary Coogan, formerly Mary O'Hearn from Cantark. She's launching her book, A Minute of Your Time. It's a selection of photographs and reflections on times past. That's on tonight in the Delquin Hall in Cantark. Cantor, half seven, all are welcome. And Clyde Rovers GAA, they hold their weekly lotto draw in Derry Murphy's Bar tonight. This week's jackpot is €3,300 and tickets are available from Jerry O'Donnell. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Can you outline some of the main Chagas recommendations for the safe application of pesticides? It says on the label what distance to keep away from public sources of water. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Only on C103. Mary by WhatsApp wondering when the shoeboxes that we did the interview on last month, I would say, when is the pickup, when and where is the pickup point in Mallow? I know all of the deals stores and there is a deals in Mallow. All of the deals stores are collecting them. And I have a funny feeling it's this weekend, Mary. So I would get that in ASAP, but very kind of you to do that. And talking of kindness, there was a lovely piece that I came across during the week. It's a new survey that has shown that most Irish people in Ireland experience kindness in their communities. And I was reading the results of this new survey and none of it surprised me I have to say because I witness almost on a daily basis the kindness of people through this uh, programme. Three out of five people in Ireland strongly agree that people in their community are kind. The highest percentage of any jurisdiction that was surveyed and it was a survey done by the WHEEL which is the National Association of Charities in Ireland and in the United Kingdom. People in Ireland are also more likely to volunteer were more likely to set up a community organisation. Irish people are also likely to take part in collective actions such as volunteering and that's compared to people in, uh, in in the UK much more likely to do it here in Ireland and the homeless campaigner the wonderful father Peter McVerry who I've been honoured to interview over the years he helped with the research which included a series of public consultations over the past three years and he said most Irish people think that we are kind and that generally speaking we treat each other well and he says to see it in print comes out in a survey it confirms what we've always believed and would always like to believe he said most people aren't rude to each other particularly somebody who is in need it confirms he says that we are a kind nation and that most people feel they are treated well and with kindness particularly in rural areas isn't that great and low income groups think that they're treated with great kindness and he said one thing that really surprised Father Peter McVerry was that low income groups who took part in the survey felt that they were treated very well by the public service and I would like to think that anyone who has any kind of dealings with the public service particularly if you're in a low income group and you're down on your luck I would like to think that more than anything they will be treated with the utmost uh, kindness Father Peter said the kindness of all though he said are our young people his experience of young people is that they have a great sense of kindness and a great sense of justice and it's the People's Conversation Project it's seen hundreds of people take part in engaged discussions about what needs to change 
to create a truly inclusive Ireland and it's resulted in the publications of four reports to date including this one and uh, Ivan Cooper is the Director of Public Policy at The Wheel and he said people continue to be very much involved in their local community participating socially giving financial support and volunteering their time to local, national and international causes and long may it continue and the last time that we did an in-depth piece on uh, it was on retirement wasn't it rather than rural isolation we were talking about planning for retiring I think that's what it was and that was one of the things that came out strongly in all of the research for people who are about to retire who are, who are retired and who are worried what am I going to do with all this time, time on my hands time and time again the research is there to say to people go out and volunteer get involved in your local community I mean you've got the whole social aspect of it but you'll end up getting a wider circle of friends and then there's a sense of there's a feel good factor if you're giving something back to your community or you're helping out your community in some way you come away kind of feeling all warm and fuzzy and feeling like you know you've made a difference and I think there's, there can be nothing like at the end of the day to look back on your day and to think you made a difference or you helped somebody or you made somebody smile or you were kind to somebody rather than, you know, looking back on the day and saying, God, it was absolutely nothing today and if anything, I was rude. So be nice and be kind. But I think we know, we've always known that we are we are a kind and a caring nation and long, long, long may that continue. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. And Mark, our movie reviewer, joins us on the phone line today. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome along. Now, you went along to see a movie called Doctor Sleep, and on DVD, it's a movie called Kursk. But we start with a trailer from Doctor Sleep. You're running away from something. For myself, I guess. You're magic. Like me. I always called it the shining. World's a hungry place. And they'll eat what chance. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, the very fact that The Shining is mentioned uh, here, and I know that this is a horror movie, is this linked in any way to The Shining? Yes, I mean, it's not really a sequel to The Shining. It's kind of a follow-on from The Shining. And okay. uh, now, remember, the, I did, did you see The Shining? I did, yeah. Me, that's many years ago. Yeah, I saw it when it came out back in 1980. Yeah. I was very, very young when uh, when I saw it. And I remember li- liking it and enjoying it. I didn't think it was particularly scary or frightening, but it did have kind of frightening elements. Um, but I did enjoy the little sequences with a little boy on the trike yeah. as he's cycling around the corridors of, uh, of the hotel. Now, this little boy has now grown up, and now Danny 
has now become Dan Torrance, and here he's played by uh, Ewan McGregor. What I didn't realise in the original film is that he had these kind of telekinetic powers, which uh, have kind of come to the fore here in this film. So maybe when I <laughs> saw the original film, maybe I was just watching it as a piece of entertainment and didn't kind of think about it too much because I hadn't read any of the books, I have to admit. Uh, although Stephen King, funnily enough, it was a St- Stanley Kubrick film, the, the original, and uh, Stephen King didn't like the film, actually. Oh. So, yeah, he didn't like it at all. He didn't like what uh, Stanley Kubrick uh, did uh, to the film. And so he wrote this kind of, it's not a sequel, but it is a follow-on now, as Danny Torrance is now. Um, 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 he is a grown-up man, but is still kind of suffering from the effects of uh, the um, experience that he had in the hotel at that time. He's got a kind of a post-traumatic kind of disorder because of it, and uh, and is plagued with kind of flashbacks as to the horror from there. And in fact, there's a lot of fan service in this film, too, with regards to The Shining, because there are references. And um, even though I haven't seen The Shining since around 1980, um, um, it does make me back, go back. Maybe I should go back and rewatch it again because there are references and there are callbacks to the original film here. Um, but there are people who say it's fan service, and I think that's probably very, very true because it's kind of unnecessary. But they decided to do it anyway to link it to the original film. Uh, funny enough, this is directed by Mike Flanagan, who, funny enough, was born in Salem in Massachusetts oh, and of course associated with the witches yeah well, the thing is there's a famous um, Stephen King book and film called Salem uh, Lot yeah, yeah. which I thought was kind of interesting and uh, that, that kind of tickled me uh, when I saw that uh, this thing it's, this film as well I mean it's it's an odd thing in that it's again like uh, The Shining it's nothing like The Shining by the way let's make that quite clear it's very kind of um, it's rather eerie but it, and it's not particularly scary, but it has some kind of creepy and some kind of nasty moments as well because there's a cult in the film known as the True Knot, and they prey on children who have these kind of telekinetic powers, and they kill them. And um, as they're being totally, slowly tortured to death, they live off this steam, which is kind of emitted this kind of power steam uh, from the children, and because of that, then it gives them a uh, longer life. And so those scenes are actually quite quite difficult to kind yeah. of watch sometimes, and especially if you have problems and you're sensitive to watching kids. I think in horror movies, like I tend to be, uh, those are rather unsettling. Um, the True Knot are headed up by Rebecca Ferguson, who plays this character called Rose the Hat. Um, do you want to know why she's called Rose the Hat? Please tell us. Uh, she wears a hat. <laughs> and uh, she, she also plays it with this kind of odd Irish accent, which she kind of seems to forget about every now and then. And, you know, it's almost like somebody reminds her in, you know, the odd scene and goes, you know, you're supposed to have an Irish accent here. It kind of comes and goes. But she is by far the best thing in this film because, of course, she has to attract the children before they, they kill them. And she has this wonderful kind of combination of being sweet and beautiful but at the same time then ready in a second you know initially seductive and then becoming really really fearsome and kind of nasty as well uh, like the film is very very drawn out and it's very very slow moving which I think uh, it could be possibly why the film did bomb at the box office it hasn't done well at all maybe people are turned off because people don't like the idea of uh, a film that kind of references uh, such a classic uh, like The Shining and maybe that's why people were turned off it at two and a half hours long I think it's it's considering how slow-moving it is, at times it's very, very difficult to kind of keep your attention, which I did. Um, um, I, I did find myself kind of, you know, thinking of other things uh, on occasions during the film, which I really, really shouldn't. It's kind of kind of old-fashioned kind of look and feel to it. It's not really, as I say, it's not really kind of horrific, but it does. it is rather eerie and creepy every, every now and then. Um, 
Ewan McGregor plays the, the character of Dan Torrance. I'm not a great fan of Ewan McGregor. I never really have been. He's okay in the film. There's a little girl called Kaylee Kern, though, who is uh, extraordinary. This little girl who also has the telekinetic powers and who teams up with Ewan McGregor in this film to fight uh, the evil that is uh, being produced by the true knot of this cult. So all in all, look, I think, uh, you know... Don't go to it expecting the the the, the shining because yeah. it's nothing like the shining. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was interesting, and I think it, it was it was interesting that they decided not to have jump scares that and not to have too much in the way of horror. Uh, a lot of again, the horror kind of happens kind of off screen, which sometimes can be worse. But I ended up enjoying it, and I would recommend it because my memories of the shining was a lot of jump scares. You were out of your seat, and yeah. Yes, and there were kind of horrific moments like the blood in the, in, yeah. the uh, in the lift and so on. And yes, there were. And that's part of the reasons why I think um, um, Stephen King didn't particularly like the film. But at the same time, it's a very different film. It doesn't have that kind of over-the-top kind of... Like, there's no scene, for example, like Jack Nicholson smashing down a door, a door going, and here's the fa- Johnny. And the face, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like that here. Okay. It's very, very subdued and very clever and uh, and very deep. And I enjoyed it very much. Okay. All right. It's called Doctor Sleep. Mark it out of ten. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. And what, it was written by Stephen King as well. Wasn't it, it is. Yes. Yeah. One, yeah. And he he is a big fan of this film. He has liked it uh, oh, very much he? indeed. Yeah. Okay. Now DVD. Uh, it's a movie called Kursk. It's called The Command in other parts of the world, but it's. Kursk. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, what's the reason it, for that? I have no idea. I mean, when you think oh. about it, the, the command isn't exactly the most exciting, uh, you know, um, title you've ever heard. So, um, you know, Kursk, uh, you, it's a, based on this true story. You might remember it's the, the Kursk, submarine, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. Kursk submarine disaster of yeah. 2000, which you remember. It was this extraordinary submarine which was produced by the Russians, and it was meant to be unsinkable. Mm. That sounds familiar? Yeah. Titanic. Um, it could even, we're told, withstand a direct hit from a torpedo attack. I mean, that's how kind of a new and improved this extraordinary submarine was meant to be. And whilst on manoeuvres, um, it uh, a couple of explosions happen on board, and so it sinks down to the sea. So of the 118 uh, that were on board, something like 37 were still alive when it uh, did reach the bottom of the sea. The, follow, the film then follows the story basically about the bureaucracy involved in the rescue and the lack of interest by the Russians initially. Because, of course, um, clinging kind of to the ways of the past in the old days, basically they said, no, this hasn't happened. We know nothing about this. So whilst these men were still alive, because of the intransigence of the Russians and also, it should be said, the bureaucracy of Russia, France, Norway and Britain, uh, these men basically you know, were left to die. It was shocking. Because I, I, I remembered at the time from a news point of view. It was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it, and it, it, to be fair, it did take something like 16 hours to find them. And when they finally did find them, of course, the Russians did not have the technology to be able to rescue them. And so therefore, when France and the other countries like Russia and Britain tried to give help and uh, to, to try and rescue these men. Uh, the Russians basically said, no, we will do it ourselves, even though they did not have the technology to be able to do that. But they didn't want to admit that they didn't have the technology. Uh, exactly, yes. It's and like that's, Chernobyl all over again. Exactly. And so therefore, to, um, to what the director here decided to do is uh, he decided, well, look, initially uh, the book referenced a lot of the political side of it, for example. At one stage, uh, Putin was going to be in this, well, uh, an actor 
playing Putin was going to be in this film, but they decided, no, what the director wanted to do is he wanted to con- con- concentrate on the human aspect of this rather than the actual um, kind of political side of it. And so, therefore, the film is um, kind of very claustrophobic, as, uh, of course, these submarines are. And, in fact, what he did was he, did, uh, he decided to bring the screen, the screen ratio down. Normally, you have a big kind of widescreen kind of screen ratio, and he did that to kind of make sure that everything and all your kind of vision is just concentrated on this kind of these men and uh, and what they're going through and it is really really quite shocking and very very difficult uh, to watch sometimes especially if you do know how it uh, it played out there's one terrific performance by Leah Sadu who is plays the wife of Matthias Schoenhardt who was uh, one of the uh, men on board and there's an incredible scene where she um is frustrated so much by the authorities who constantly lied to them and and were not at all supportive. And there's a wonderful scene uh, where she's in a town hall and she kind of delivers this amazing kind of impassioned speech, which is one of the best performances I've seen in a very, very long time. The other interesting thing is what they did was, that although the, the the sailors were all Russian, the, the no Russian actors are actually in this film. Oh. And most of the actors are actually played by Belgian, French and Swedish actors. Are they oh. putting on Russian accents? No, well, this is right. it. I mean, they speak oh. with their own accents, which is kind of odd and it's weird and um, they, they did also- that remember with Chernobyl with their programme for Chernobyl and they did it deliberately because they felt that if they had people pretending to do to be Russian it, would, it almost sounds comical when people I, do a Russian accent. It can do that, yeah, and maybe that's uh, the reason why. But when you hear a Swedish accent, it is kind of very, well, very Well, that's odd. a bit, yeah. And yeah. they also speak English as well. So, you know, I mean, it's, I suppose the film you could reference uh, most is Wolfgang Peterson's Das Boot, which was um, released about 20, 25 years ago, which was this wonderful, amazing film about a very, very similar situation. And um, that was obviously in German and, and subtitled. And because of that, I think it was much more powerful. And I would have preferred, actually, in fact, that uh, the, uh, the Russian character were played with Russians with their own accent, and I think uh, the performances in that stage uh, would have been pretty good, you know. Um, but it is very, very, very. It, it's kind of shocking when you think about how the, the, the politicians kind of responded to this, and um, and that's really um, what they kind of concentrate on. And it is cliched every now and then, but you know, to watch basically these men in what is a tin can at the end of uh, the ocean is is quite. It's not. It's not an easy watch sometimes. How, how how long do they take to die? Does it go um, into that? I, they were down there for a few days. I mean, they were down there, yeah, for quite a while. But uh, we don't actually know. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. Of course, it's, and that is all all guesstimates because it was sixteen hours, as you say, before they found it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then it was hard to know how long they actually last. Shocking, shocking story. Okay, as as you say, that's a difficult watch. It is a difficult watch if you know the ending. Certainly, yeah. But um, it is. Uh, it was certainly of interest anyway. And um, again, like the previous film, I would recommend it. And it's out on DVD. It's called. Kursk, Kursk. Um, And you've no understanding why it's the command in other parts of the... I have no idea. Um, Unless maybe parts of the world did not want a reminder of the name the, of the, the, the story, maybe, maybe, maybe. and, uh, and they, st- they were against it. So. Okay, all right. Um, mark it out of 10? I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10, all right. Listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week okay. and uh, we'll chat to you next week. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. And shame on somebody who has left household rubbish at the bottle bank in Ballyvorney. Somebody sent on a photograph uh, to us saying, apparently this is what some people think that the bottle bank in the village is for. And there is a bag of rubbish that I'm assuming they just left and then 
I don't know, wildlife got at it and ripped the bags apart and it's shown all over in front of where the bottle banks are. So other family members now going along to put bottles into the bottle bank are faced with that. Shame, shame on whoever did that. Your big, your next big way to win coming here to C103. We could have your Christmas covered. We're looking forward to all the details with Simon Murdoch on Monday morning at 8.15 here on C103. Make sure you're tuned our way. And of course, the countdown to Christmas truly begins this Sunday with the switching on of the Cork City Christmas at Lights. We're inviting you to join the gang on Patrick Street from 6.30 as we get ready to flick the switch. There will be music from the Academy of Popular Music. The Cork Deaf Choir are going to be there, plus an appearance from the big man himself. Santa Claus has made a promise to turn up. Now the lights, we're expecting the lights to be switched on at approximately 7.15. Get in earlier though to sample all of the atmosphere. Be on Patrick Street in the city this Sunday for the Christmas lights switch on. It's kind of the start of it all. It means Christmas is underway for 2019. Now, Nick Richards is up next and he is turning up the feel-good factor with these tunes. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. And uh, we'll be back with you on Monday morning. I'm Patricia Messenger.